We are jumping back into our series called Unlocking Freedom in Your Life. This week, we're going to talk about getting free from other people's sins. You know, there are sins in this world that affect you that aren't your sins. It's what someone else did. What someone else did to you, what someone else did to someone that you love, and it has an impact on us. If we're going to be free, we need to not just be free from the things we've done, but we also need to be free from the things that have been done to us. We've all been hit by the evils of this world, all of us. It isn't whether or not you will be hit by the evils of this world. It's to what extent and how it will affect you. It's how bad you're going to get hit by the evils of this world, and then how are you going to be able to handle that? Let's look at a couple of different verses here and look at how the darkness of this world can hit us and change us. Romans 12, 2, a very important verse, says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And what this is primarily talking about is when we see the evils of the world, we take them as an example. Maybe the only thing we've ever seen is an ungodly way of living, and so we just do that because it's the only thing we know, and we're conforming to the pattern of the world. We're not conforming to the truth of Scripture. We're conforming to the way things just happen in this world. We're conforming to the experiences we've had, and we're just repeating those things. But here it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we don't want to conform. And then Matthew 24, starting in verse 12, talks about another aspect of interacting with an evil world. It's not just that we see the example of how things work, but also sometimes that evil hits us hard. And here in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about when the second coming is going to happen. And he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. One of the things that will happen when it gets to be close to the the end is there will be an increase of wickedness and the love of most will grow cold. What happens to you when evil is perpetrated against you? It can kill something on the inside. There can be a fading of joy. Love can grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Have you ever seen a jaded, depressed three-year-old? What happens when a three-year-old sees a mud puddle? Woohoo! They jump in the mud puddle. They're happy as can be. What happens when a grumpy 40-year-old steps in a mud puddle? Completely different response. What happened to that person in those 37 years? All the pressures of life, all the hopes and dreams that were crushed by somebody's evil, all those things have happened to that person, and now they step in the mud puddle, and they're just a different person. There's things on the inside of us that can fade and get dark. Love can grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. But Jesus continues, verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He who does not let his love grow cold. Now, again, we've all had the experience of wickedness hit us. And Jesus here says, he who stands firm to the end, meaning he who doesn't let his love grow cold, will be saved. I always take hard verses like this as a promise. So you mean it's possible for me to experience the hardships of this life and not have my love grow cold? 
All right, well then I'm going to seek after that from God. I'm going to look for the ability from God to not have my love grow cold, even though I live in an evil, dark world. And we live in the best world that's ever been. We live in the United States, 2018. This is as good as it's ever been for any generation. Hallelujah for that. Now there's, there's all kinds of problems. But as far as economic opportunity, freedoms, all those things that we have, the opulence that we live in, this is the best it's ever been. And yet, suicide rates are skyrocketing. Depression is rampant. The love of most will grow cold. We can make it through full of love, full of joy, full of freedom. But we have to be free to live that out in the midst of a dark world. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at four ways we respond to evil. Respond to this increase of wickedness. And I'm going to just give you an important hint here. The fourth one is the one you want to do. The first three are bad options. So option number one is conform. We see this dark world and we just, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I see how the game is played and we conform. You conform to the pattern of this world. Instead of rejecting the darkness of this world, you repeat the darkness of this world. And the evils that happen to you, you do to other people. The evils you see other people do to get ahead, you just start doing that. And that's conforming to the pattern of this world. We do not want to conform. You know, most evil is a response to a previous evil. Most violence is a response to previous violence. Most darkness is a response to previous darkness that someone has experienced and they're just fighting back. But they're fighting fire with fire. They're fighting evil with evil. And then there's increased evil, increased darkness. And so as we conform to the pattern of this world, it escalates and gets worse. We don't want to conform. Option number two is to crumble, to be crushed By the darkness of this world, just run over by the steamroller of evil that is out there and be crushed. And then people begin to believe that they deserve the evil that is coming on them. They believe that they aren't worth anything except to be abused. And that is a disaster because that is a lie from hell. That is not who you are. There's the enabler distortion of turn the other cheek. So, when evil hits us, does Jesus teach us to turn the other cheek? Yes, He does. But Jesus also flipped over the money changers' tables. So there were times where Jesus turned the other cheek, and there were times where He made a scene and flipped over the money changers' tables. That means the money all went flying. That's making a big scene. So, sometimes we have to turn the other cheek, and sometimes... We have to flip over the money changers' tables if we're going to follow the example of Christ. So how do we know when to do what? Here's how you figure it out. Whatever you need to do to stop the cycle of darkness, to stop the cycle of wickedness, to stop the cycle of evil. Sometimes somebody insults me and I want to push them. And if I push them, they want to punch me. And if they punch me, I want to pull out something. What do I need to do in order to stop the escalation of evil in that situation? They say something cruel to me, and I just turn the other cheek. I stop the escalation of darkness. Now, let's say that someone's being exploited and abused over here, and I know about it. Do I turn the other cheek then? 
That's not going to stop the cycle of darkness. That's a situation where you got to flip the money changers' tables over. you got to make a scene. you got to bring it to the light and make sure that people understand what's happening. Now, what if you're the person being abused and there's no one else that knows about it? Now, you're going to have to be the one to flip the money changers' table over. You're going to have to be your own advocate and you're going to have to fight your way out. God is with you. Don't just turn the other cheek and thus allow evil to perpetuate and then be passed on to the next generation. Sometimes you got to flip the money changers tables over. So do not crumble under the darkness. Bad option number three is just to be corrupted in your heart, to have a tainted and dark view of everything, to see evils and wrongs everywhere, have a negative whiny attitude. This is just a corrupted heart. This is the faith growing cold, the joy growing cold, the love in your heart growing cold, and all you see is yuck. You know, there's beauty in this world, and if you see it, it'll brighten your day. But there's also plenty of evil in this world. And if the only thing you can see is the evil, you need to fix your eyes on some of the beauties and wonderful things that are going on and encourage yourself. Because we don't want to have a a tainted, dark view of everything. We don't want to be fools. We want to be shrewd and understand. But we still want to see this world through eyes of faith. See this world through God's goodness, not through tainted and dark eyes. So bad options, there's many of them, but three of them are to conform to the pattern of this world or to crumble and just become a victim or to be corrupted and jaded and cynical. Option number four, which I want you to choose, is this, and that is to conquer, to conquer the darkness. Romans 12, 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Is evil going to want to come over you and crush you? Yes, it is. But the promise here, I take this as a promise, is that you can overcome evil with good. I don't take this as an unrealistic expectation. I take it as a promise. Because if God's going to say through his word to me, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, it must mean that it's possible to overcome evil with good. It must be possible. And so I take it as a promise that God can show me how to attain to the place in my life where instead of being crushed by evil, instead of, you know, participating in it and being conformed to it, instead I overcome evil with good. Man, if every believer could get to the place to where they could live out Romans 12, 21 and overcome evil with good, wouldn't that be something? There'd be a force in this world to reckon with. But, dare I say, most Christians are good about whining about how bad things are. What good is that? Do not just be corrupted in your heart and have your faith grow cold. Instead, overcome and conquer. Would you say that do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good goes in the easier said than done category? So what we're going to do today is we are going to learn step one of overcoming evil with good. There is more to this. We can't get that far in the next 15 minutes, but we are going to get to step one. And step one is this. You have to forgive. Forgiveness is the first step in not being overcome by evil, but being able to overcome evil with good. 
So we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about forgiveness and we're going to apply the three steps from John chapter 8, hold to, know, and then be free. And we're going to believe God for a measure of freedom this morning because man, if we could be free from what other people have done, free from the wickedness of this world, to not have our hearts tainted and darkened by all the evils that we've seen, wouldn't that be something? Let's read what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to Matthew chapter 5 and then Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So if somebody's good to you, love them back. If somebody's bad to you, look out for number one. That would be conforming to the pattern of this world. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever tried to do that? Love your enemies. How do you hold to that teaching? Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't hate your enemies, but love them and pray for them. Pray for people who are persecuting you. What is a person who's persecuting you? It's a person who is currently actively trying to hurt you. In your life, someone at work, someone at school, someone in your family who is trying to sabotage your life, who's speaking evil over you, someone who is persecuting you in the moment, Jesus says... To love them and pray for them. Isn't that a high calling? Let's keep reading. Verse 45. Pray for them and love them that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Have you noticed that God doesn't withhold his goodness from evil people? Lots of Christians are frustrated by this. (laughs) How come, God, you are kind to the evil? Well, you want to know why God is kind to the evil? Because his plan is to redeem them. His plan is to get them forgiven and brought into the family. He doesn't want to reject them. He doesn't want to condemn them. He wants to bring them in. And guess what? Each one of us were one of them at one point. So hallelujah that he loves those who are on the outside. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the evil people of the world doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? What religion do you even have if you just love people who are nice to you and you're mean to people who aren't nice to you? What are you even doing? Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, get right on that. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus means here is, go ahead and love everybody. Not just the people who are good to you, but also the ones who aren't. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to flip the money changer's table over every now and again. You don't just turn the other cheek and remain being abused. Sometimes you got to flip the table over. But you can love people enough to help them get out of perpetuating darkness, even if it's being perpetuated against you and people you love. You can care about them enough to try to get them free from that so that they don't have to face the judgment of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, and he goes through the Lord's Prayer. And then the very next verse is verse 14. Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
That's real strong. If you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. If you remember the parable of the unmerciful servant, it's someone who was forgiven but who was unwilling to forgive. Their whole debt was put back on them. So here Jesus is basically saying this. You can live in one of two worlds. You can live in a world of forgiveness or you can live in a world of condemnation. You pick. You can live in a world where you receive forgiveness of God and you offer forgiveness to others or you can live in a world where you're condemned by God and you condemn others but you cannot live half in the world of forgiveness and half in the world of condemnation. You cannot receive forgiveness for yourself while you condemn others. You can't be 50-50. You can be in one or the other. Pick the one with forgiveness because I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. God showed me this very powerfully in just a revelation moment. Have you ever had an aha moment with God? I was in a situation years ago where at work there was a big, bad, terrible, evil thing that happened. There was political garbage at work and somebody committed suicide. It was horrible. And I was so angry. And I just thought these rotten people, they need to get theirs. And, you know, I just I was mad. I'm like, how can you drive somebody to that and be happy about it? And I was trying to forgive. You know, they didn't even do it to me. I was just there. So I saw it. It made me so angry. And I'm trying to forgive and being unsuccessful. So I'm trying and I'm trying for a year. I mean, I'm a fairly new believer who is sold out for Jesus. And I'm trying to follow the scriptures and I'm trying to forgive and I'm being unsuccessful. And this is going on for a year. And after a year, I'm noticing my relationship with God is deteriorating because I've got this bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in my heart. And I'm sitting at the stoplight in Bemidji by Paul and Babe. And I have a God moment at that stoplight and just the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, not an audible voice, but just spoke to my heart that unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. I was like, whoa, because why did Jesus die on the cross? To take our sins away. What is unforgiveness and bitterness and condemnation? It's wanting to stick people's sins to them. It's the opposite. Well, no wonder I'm having my relationship with Jesus deteriorate if I'm opposing the cross. Clearly, that's a bad thing. And that was enough to scare me straight and say, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to release it. Lots of people done lots of evil things. I'm just going to let that one go. And I was able to let it go, basically out of fear of opposing the cross. But I can't do that. I can't live in this world of condemnation. I need to live in the world of forgiveness. And if I'm going to believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, I can't be holding people's sins against them and wanting them to be judged because guess what? I'm in the world of condemnation then. I must live in the world of forgiveness. So when we try to hold to the teachings of loving our enemies and forgiving people, What do we learn? What do we come to know over time? Some things we've already talked about that, you know, this doesn't just automatically happen. We have to get there. It involves decision making, but it isn't just decision making. Like, for example, can you decide to run a marathon? Well, for most people, you have to decide to train so that then you can develop into the type of person who can survive 26.2 miles. Otherwise, you can decide to run a marathon and then you're in a heap 10 miles down the road in the ditch. And you, you don't get to run the marathon because you're, you're not strong enough to do it. 
Forgiveness oftentimes isn't something we can just bloop, just do, but we can decide to train ourselves in the ways of God and get to the place where we actually get free to forgive. It's a process and it's a battle, but you can get there. Keep fighting. Another thing, I had a lady come to me years ago. She's trying to forgive somebody and she was just crying. She said, but they need to answer for what they've done. Let me tell you, just because you forgive does not get them off the hook with God. Do you know, Jesus said anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better off for them to have one of those anchors tied around his neck, break through the ice on Lake Superior and be brought to the bottom. It'd be better off to have them have that happen to them than when they come and see me. God will avenge you. You can let it go. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 17, and let's see how that plays out. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So when evil comes, what do we repay them with? Good. It's time to put your faith on that. <laughs> That's a good idea. You know, trust in that. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is it possible to live at peace with everyone? Not if they don't cooperate. So as far as it depends on you, you don't be the problem. Okay? You don't be the problem. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And he's good at that. Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I always have to explain the burning coals thing. This doesn't mean that we get to torture them or that this will somehow cause them very significant pain. This is a reference to an Old Testament, an old Jewish tradition where, you know, they had lots of symbolism and all these things that meant all these different things. And one of the major symbolisms of the Jewish culture was the refining power of fire. You know, if you want to make gold pure, you cook it. It burns off all the impurities. And so fire was a symbol of cleansing. And so what they would do if they felt that they were in the wrong and they needed to be cleansed was there was this headpiece that they would put burning coals in. It wouldn't touch their head. It was just off to the side from what I understand. And it would smoke and it would be basically them saying, yes, I was wrong. I need to be cleansed. I am the one that's at fault. Make me clean, Lord. And it was a symbol of that. And so what this is saying is that if someone is evil to me and I'm kind to them and they're evil to me and I'm kind to them and they're evil to me and I'm kind to them. At some point, they're going to realize they're the bad guy. However, if they're evil to me and I'm a little more evil to them and then they're evil to me and I'm evil back to them and I keep wondering how come they're not noticing how evil they are, then I'm wildly confused because they're only going to focus on the things I've done to them. They're not going to focus on what they've done. So if we return good for evil, eventually they'll start to catch on and realize they're the only ones doing stuff wrong. And even if they don't catch on, God will straighten it out in the end. Leave room for God's wrath. And then the very next verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When evil comes on us, if we can return good, we begin the the overcoming process. If when we are hurt, we can forgive We begin the overcoming process. You are going to need God's help. Here's how I see evil that hits us. I see it like a whale 
and an old-fashioned whaling ship. You know, they would shoot harpoons at the whale, and it would stick in the whale, and there would be a rope between the ship and the whale. And the whale would swim and fight, but it would pull the ship. And as the whale is pulling the ship, the wound would be opened more and more. And when sin happens, when someone does something evil to us or to someone we love, if they hurt our children, it it hits us more than even if they hurt us. But when that evil happens, there is a bond that is created between you and the perpetrator of the evil. You'll notice this bond at 2 a.m. when you wake up angry with their face in front of your mind. When you wake up just wanting to do damage, you will notice this bond. You cannot get free from them. You're busy hating them and you're bitter against them. And you can't get them out of your mind because you have a sin bond between you. And there are so many people in this world, they're like that whale, but they've got 6, 8, 15, 20 harpoons in them, and they're just trying to make their life work, but it isn't working. Because how are you supposed to function normally in that condition? So we need to break that sin bond so that we can start the healing process. How do we cut the rope? We cut the rope by forgiveness. And releasing it to God. It's yours to avenge. You repay. I need to deal with this damage. And then you can get the harpoon out. And you can begin the healing process. And you can start to get free. But it starts with forgiveness. What did Jesus say when he was being crucified? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, the first martyr, said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In the midst of the moment, they were able to forgive. Their hearts were not darkened by the evil that they suffered. Even though they were wrongly accused and murdered, their hearts were not darkened. I want you to be free from every evil thing that has happened to you. I want you to have power from God to not have that evil move you, change you, darken your heart. I refuse to give evil people power over me. Why should that person's sin change my future? Why should that person's sin make my love grow cold? I'm not going to give them that power. Our closing scripture is going to be Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. It begins like this, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let me tell you, if what they did to you is still hindering you, it's time to throw it off. If the darkness that you have experienced in this life is still a hindrance, it's time to break the bond, get free, heal, and go forward who God created you to be, not shaped by their sin. Let us throw off everything that hinders. I like that throw. It's very aggressive. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's the conforming to the pattern by example. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, and he scorned its shame. This is a very important thing that I hadn't seen before. He scorned the shame. When people are 
are abused, when people are crushed by the darkness of this world, what happens so often is they identify with the shame. They feel the shame. They magnify the shame. They are shaped by and under the control of the shame of the things that have happened in their experiences. What is the shame that Jesus is scorning here? He's scorning being falsely accused. He's scorning being humiliated. He's scorning being beaten publicly. He's scorning violence that has happened to him. Torture and death. The Greek word that's translated there, scorn, oftentimes is translated despise. And basically, literally, it means to disesteem. It means to count as nothing. He scorned the shame. The shame you've been carrying does not belong to you. If somebody else did it, it's their shame. It's not even yours. Jesus didn't do anything wrong, so he didn't carry the shame. He rejected it. And then he went and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a picture for us. Yeah, okay, they did evil to you. Don't let that take your self-image down. Scorn their evil and go sit down next to God. Take your rightful place. Let God take you out of the miry clay and seat you with princes. In verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to be free. I've seen too many people carry things for 50 years and have damage continue to happen to them for their whole life and die with a harpoon and a rope tied to them. Let's be free. We get free. We begin that process with forgiveness. And it starts with receiving it, with seeing your value in the eyes of Christ, with knowing who you truly are. 